We made this. Ladies and gentlemen, it was a cold-blooded, premeditated murder. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Red and Berry Podcast with me, Sarah. And Frankie. Lovely. And I'm sorry for the slightly longer gap than usual between episodes. It's entirely my fault. I've been swanning off on various holidays. How dare you? I know. That sounds very exotic. I would like to clarify two holidays. They've been in the UK and Ireland, so nothing um, further afield than that. But it's been lovely. No, and it's you've been with exotic people, your lovely family, visiting from Australia. Yep. So first time anyone's ever called them exotic, but okay. <laughs> it's it's the other side of the world, so I kind of think if that's not exotic, I don't know what is to be honest that's, with you. And yeah. they have penguins where they're from in Australia. They do, yeah. Midget fair, fairy penguins, they're called. Oh my god, that's the most exotic thing I've ever heard in my life. Well, there you go. There you go. We. Uh, obviously missed you a lot yes. while you were gone. I say I speak for the audience and I. Obviously. But thank you to everybody that listened to the labours of Hercule that I popped in the old feed to make yeah. up for. Because I just, I couldn't stand it, Sarah. The thought of people waking up on the first Friday of the month and not having something to listen to. I thought... Imagine the, the tears across the nation. That's it. I could. I just thought people would be wailing in the streets. It would just be too upsetting. Mm. So I thought I'll give them something and things we would, you know, and it ties in nicely actually what we're going to talk about today. That's so, very true. So, yeah. Frankie, what is this month's topic? And I really hope that I've remembered it right and read the right <laughs> book. <laughs> well, you have forgotten a couple of times, so I have had to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Nothing. Something's never changed. It's fine. Uh, the theme topic this month is a Poirot book. Yes, nailed it. Thank God. <laughs> This could have been a very short episode. Yes. And it was obviously inspired by, not to, I don't know if I've mentioned this, I've got a new podcast called (laughs) The Labours of Hercule that uh, I started doing with the lovely Adam Roach, who was also a guest on our last episode. So that was really fun to have him on. And yeah, so we thought, let's keep the theme going. Because also, I think if you're listening to this, you probably love Agatha Christie. I don't know if you can have an appreciation for crime books without a love of Agatha Christie. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I came to it quite late, didn't I? It was ah. probably about four years ago, I reckon, that you you got me into it. You gave me my first copy to read, Death on the yeah. Nile. Amazing. So yeah, I went quite a long time without reading them, whereas I was always very into, you know, this kind of genre of fiction. Yeah. But God, I mean, she is the queen of crime for a reason. Absolutely. And actually, and before we get into it as well, I just want to say... Uh, that I went to the Harrogate Crime Writing Festival uh, last month now. God, mm. where is time going this year? And one of the, oh, it was such a great weekend for a number of reasons. We met, I met so many amazing authors. We've got some really exciting guests lined up for future episodes. I can't wait to get them on so we can talk about their books. But one of the best things of the whole weekend for me was the amount of discussion, praise, and just general gushing over Agatha Christie from all Aww. the authors over the whole weekend, like on the panels and just in general chit-chat. There's a reason, as you say, she's the queen of crime and nobody takes that for granted, I think, in the crime world. Everything she did for the genre and continues to do, even from beyond the grave, because she still (laughs) sells so bloody well. Actually, I have a fun fact for you. Um, Oh, I love fun facts. A sad lead into the story. 
Great. I recently, for my Switch, purchased the game of Trivial Pursuit. Brilliant. Right. So I've been... <laughs> I know, it's like the saddest thing I've ever said. Mm. Actually, it gets sadder. I've been having, you know, little games alone on it in the evenings. Wow, okay. Anyway, there was a question. One of the questions in it was which author, basically you got four options and you had to pick which you thought um, had the highest amount of books sold. Yeah. So it was, I can't remember the other two, but two of them were Agatha Christie and J.K. Rowling. So Mm. I went for J.K. Rowling without even second thinking it because it's like the harry potter i think is the it's outsold the bible you know they're the biggest sold books ever and agatha christie's actually outsold jk rowling by four times as many copies and it wasn't until i saw the arch and i was like well fucking of course because she's got about a hundred books exactly but so prolific yeah yeah but i was quite surprised that she's sold according to the switch game of trivial pursuit she's sold two million copies Wow. Yeah, she's she is quite she's quite good, wasn't she? <laughs> she's <laughs> not, not bad. bad. Who knew? Who knew? Anyway, I am so excited to hear which book you chose. I was talking about this with a friend the other day. Mm. And in fact, it was today. And he was saying, oh, what book did Frankie pick? And I was like, I have no idea. But she's read all of them. So she's going yeah. to have picked one, I assume, for like a really good reason, either because you love it or because it's, I, mm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, so am I going first then? Um, I don't know. Yeah, go for it. Okay, because I cannot remember the order. So no. we'll just do that. Well, so yeah, I've chosen one. I wanted to go slightly off piste with it. Mm. I wanted to pick one that, isn't one that anyone ever really thinks of straight away when they think of a a Poirot book okay and so I went for one that also another one interestingly because I I told uh, a friend which one I picked and her response straight away was I I can't remember what happens in that one and I'm like exactly that's one of the reasons why I picked it because out of all of the the kind of the, the big Poirot books this one tends to go a bit under the radar for a few reasons that we can get into. But I think there's a lot of good in it. Not, oh, I mean, in terms so of... Intrigued. Yeah, okay, so I chose... A drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. McGinty's Dead. Oh, okay. How do you think, how do you feel about that choice? I am trying to remember if I've read it. I'm pretty sure that I have, but I remember mm-hmm. nothing about it. Right, that's my point. That's my point with Mrs. McGinty's Dead. It's always one that you, the name, you go, oh yeah, I know, I know that, I know that one is one of her books. But the memory of the actual mystery, for some reason, tends to just fall off a bit. And I wanted to explore that with a reread and see if I could figure out why it's one of the less remarkable kind of stories of hers. Um, so I'll start as always by reading the little blurb on the back of the books. I have a physical copy, one of my vintage ones from my collection. Mm-hmm. And so. <clears throat> Mrs. McGinty's dead. How did she die? Sticking her neck out, just like I. Why was Mrs. McGinty killed? Was it really to strike down James Barlow, now found guilty of his murder? Why did this ordinary charwoman buy a bottle of ink before her death? To whom had she written and why? A newspaper article gives Hercule Poirot his first clue. Another comes from the childish rhyme of a children's game. Right, so that's what it says on the back. And apparently Ooh. Mrs. McGinty's Dead, they talk about it a lot in the book, is like a childhood game and it's like a little rhyme that they say in the game. It's not, I don't know if it's a real one, to be honest with you, because I've tried Googling it to, to learn more about it and I couldn't really find it anywhere apart from in reference to this book, unless okay. it just died out. 
and people on the internet don't feel the need to talk about it very much anymore, which is possible, mm-hmm. I suppose. Uh, trying to move on. But yeah, so Mrs. McGinty's dead. Mrs. McGinty, as a brief um, synopsis, was a charwoman and she lived in a little village and she is de- she's murdered but she get clonked she gets clonked that's the <laughs> on the back of the head and instantly her lodger is assumed to have committed the crime and he go he gets arrested he gets charged and he's set to be hung basically for the murder but the police inspector who worked on the case doesn't think he did it it's not jap is it it's not jap no, yes. there is no Jap in this one. Uh, it's actually a, det- a detective called Spence who comes in. Uh, Spence goes to Poirot, seeks him out and says, "I, there's something wrong here. I don't think he did it. Can you help me look into it? I remember you and you know, I know all the stories about you. You are the big dog. You're the big guy, Mr. P, Grandmaster P. Poirot, genius. Papa Poirot. Papa Poirot, merci. Oui, oui. So please come in and help fix it. So basically Poirot takes himself off to the countryside and stays in a horrible little guest house that he hates every single second of because it's so basic and drafty and the food is bad. And But he does it. It's such as a sacrifice to find out who killed Mrs. McGinty. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 indeed. Uh, and it's an interesting book for a number of reasons. I was I, I did a bit of reading on it earlier to see like what kind of public opinion was. And it was a little bit mixed on this one. One thing that um, people have called out in it is how kind of funny this one is in terms of she goes a lot into character about Poirot, particularly in the, actually the very opening passage. There's this amazing basically opening scene where he's wandering around Soho and deciding what to do with his time. And he just had a really good meal and he's just thinking about food loads. And, you know, I've never felt so, so much of a closeness to his character. There's a line that I wanted to pull out here where um, he says, Alas, murmured Poirot into his moustaches, that one can only eat three times a day. Mood. Yeah, absolutely. And he's all, yeah, he wanders around. And also there's this really sweet passage where he's he's missing Hastings. He's talking about his old buddy Hastings and wishing he was around. And he says, like, my first friend in the country and you know, he's all only but. So, so there's no, we don't have the the, old, the full gang in this one. We don't have Miss Lemon. We don't have Jap. We don't have Hastings. But we do have Ariadne Oliver later on in the Aww. story. Yeah, who we love. And I have to say a little shout out for the TV series played so well by Zoe Wanamaker. Yes. She's so good as Ariadne Oliver. Anyway, so, yeah, in terms of the, the book itself, the mystery itself, there's I think it's actually quite an interesting one because it's very very dark and I don't want to spoil too much although you know what I mean this book's been out for a really long time so but I'm still not going to spoil because I think that's uncool but there is the the clue in the newspaper that he that they talk about in the synopsis there is an article that he finds amongst Mrs McGinty's possessions about child killers and where are they now Basically, they served their time after committing murder as children, and now they're grown up. Where are they? Love that. Right. So it's, it's actually incredibly dark when you think about it. Yeah. And and so it kind of, it transpires, again, I don't want to spoil too much, and I'm not really spoiling too much, whatever, that Mrs. McGinty has obviously seen this article and recognised somebody in this article in one of the photos. So... Then Poirot is trying to figure out who she's recognised, 
and you know who could be responsible for this is how does someone figure out that she's figured it out you know yeah I actually think it's a quite clever dark mystery for her and it would have in terms of the Poirot narrative has come slightly later on in Poirot's journey in his cases so Mm -hmm. I did I do kind of feel like the darkness for, for Agatha Christie was probably setting in a bit more in the later years yeah so when about was this written I'm only curious because um from some of my reading recently actually where she suffered from dementia didn't she in her yes. later years yeah, and she did. I think her her writing took a little bit of a hit because of it yes yeah it did this one was written in 52 okay so it was one of the later ones yeah in yeah in terms of the Poirot books but um I it's not it's not a one that you read and you're like holy shit every page is a surprise one Mm -hmm. it's not you know and there's a reason why as I say it's not one that people instantly think of when they think of Agatha Christie but I think there's so much gold in there from the character development perspective and for someone that loves Poirot as much as I do I don't know if you know that (laughs) it's it's so rich from that and I especially because he's just losing his mind in this guest house in this village it's not where he's meant to be and actually I saw an interesting comment someone saying that normally this is the kind of setting where you've got Marple you don't have Poirot so much in mm-hmm. these like, little guest houses and little villages and all that kind of thing yeah. so it uh, it's really fun from that perspective and again I like the darkness behind it the mystery you know anything with a child killer interest instantly piques my interest it is just fascinating though isn't it because it brings in that more of the psychological side of things yes and the mary bell thing actually we discussed that with fiona cummings on her episode didn't we and the psychology behind it there are a lot of layers to it there are a lot of weird thing to say there are a lot of characters in this one so it's uh it's one that you kind of have to i think as well keep it's slightly harder to keep track of when you've got so many potential kind of persons of interest to potentially be the one the murderer and things like that Mm. so but uh it's overall i really enjoyed rereading it actually um as i say particularly for just poirot being peak poirot you know thinking about food and angry at the the incompetence of small village life and the countryside in general (laughs) not his thing at all so i really enjoyed it and it's one that i think if you want like a lighter kind of end of her mysteries you're not that i would say any of them are especially heavy but if you want one that's a bit of fun and you want to have see Poirot losing his mind slowly, but obviously never losing it fully because the grey cells are too powerful, then I recommend giving it a go. And also watching the adaptation of it, because I did after I read it as well, just to see how they lined it up. There are a few changes in it, but it's still it's still relatively faithful to the overall narrative and to the overall kind of um, denouement at the end. So, yeah, I overall, I'd give this one a four tombstone rating you sold me i'm actually not sure that i have read it now okay. i'm gonna have to reread it if i have anyway because yeah. i don't remember much about it so yeah yeah i'd be interested to hear what you think about it because yeah I, I just thought it was a lot of fun and i yeah just just from a character perspective it's worth it alone if you love a bit of poirot and his eccentricities and who doesn't let's face it absolute morons don't I imagine, but yeah. Mood. Mood. So anyway, yeah, now I'm dying to hear which book you chose. <laughs> I wonder if you've guessed which one I've chosen. So I I have, I've been thinking about this because you messaged, I posted something the other day on Instagram, on the Labours of Hercule Instagram that I mentioned with a new podcast. And it was about Hastings. And you were like, I've got a lot to say about Hastings. 
<laughs> so I was like, oh, which one's is a heavy, Hastings heavy book? I was trying to remember. So I don't have it. Actually, I don't have any idea which one you picked yet. Interesting. So I'll get right into it. Mm. I read Curtain. <gasps> you did I it. Know. You did it. I did it. And actually, I've kind of done two for one for this episode because, um, as I will explain shortly for people who haven't read it, after I finished Curtain, I actually this week went back and re- actually re-listened to uh, The Mysterious Affair of Styles as well. Beginning at the end. We begin at the end. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So uh, I will start by reading the synopsis for Curtain. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, God. So, um, Curtain is the final Poirot book. And actually, just to give a very brief bit of background for anyone listening, Agatha Christie wrote it during the Blitz when it was kind of that thing of you didn't know if you're going to survive, basically. Mm. So, I believe she wrote it as kind of a legacy for her daughter. So that if she died, they would be this final book to publish. And it was basically locked in a safe. Um, And obviously, Agatha Christie survived World War II. And it wasn't published until, I want to say, 1975 or something like that. Yeah. It's around then, I think, as the final Poirot book. So, the synopsis. A wheelchair-bound Poirot returns to Styles, the venue of his first investigation where he knows another murder is going to take place. The house guests at Styles seem perfectly pleasant to Captain Hastings. There was his own daughter, Judith, an inoffensive ornithologist called Norton, dashing Mr. Allerton, brittle Miss Cole, Dr. Franklin and his fragile wife, Barbara, Nurse Craven, Colonel Lutterell and his charming wife, Daisy, and the charismatic Boyd Carrington, which is a great name, I oh, just have to say. so good, yeah. So Hastings was shocked to learn from Hercule Poirot's declaration that one of them was a five times murderer. True, the ageing detective was crippled with arthritis, but had his deductive instincts finally deserted him. So, <sighs> yeah. I mean, what a ride. Yeah, that's an emotional one. Yeah, it's quite hard to talk about this with no spoilers. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's a massive spoiler to say this, so I'm just going to say this mm-hmm. is the book where Poirot dies. Yes, it is. I mean, the, the, it's a kind of a clue in the name really yeah exactly yeah. um so oh god yeah devastating um because obviously i knew it was coming uh-huh didn't your brother spoil it for you right before you read it as well yes my brother announced not i mean i kind of knew that bit already but yeah. he basically announced who the <gasps> was and, no! and sort of it was all a bit yeah i was furious oh, basically cool, i know so what was interesting is when I was reading up about this, like people online have kind of done the maths and be like, so how old was Poirot when he died? And actually, if you'd gone year by year from when she started writing about him and his age, um, it was worked out that he would have been about 120. In oh, he's doing pretty well for a... Yeah. yeah. Um, but apparently, you'll probably know this, Frankie, quite often Agatha Christie's novels, it's kind of like two Agatha Christie is to every three human years <laughs> Donkey. she says in inverted commas um <laughs> so essentially i think he was probably about 100 101 when he died in this book um, okay. and the fact that his little gray cells are still working so expertly is incredible of course yeah so it was a really good book it was a little bit like yours kind of more on the psychological side mm-hmm. oh definitely which, with this one yeah yeah which I really appreciated it was definitely a kind of case which she hadn't touched on in any of her other books no. that I know of anyway so it was really interesting but what I love the most is this just Hastings mm-hmm. I mean Hastings he's absolutely hilarious yeah unintentionally because he narrates this one doesn't he yes he does yeah 
And then when I went back to reread uh, Mysterious Affair at Styles, <laughs> I mean, he's hilarious in that one too, just in slightly different ways. Yeah. I just think he's such a good character. He's such a perfect foil to Poirot. He is. Sort of slightly simple. Yes. Um, yes. you know obsessed with love and oh um oh, yeah every you love Hastings and that's one of the reasons as well I think why Hugh Fraser played him so well in the tv series because he he is such a simple creature yeah but he his heart is in the right place and he loves Poirot so much absolutely and it's yeah beautiful to see he also, I've just had a look on my Audible account, so I own 39 Agatha Christie audiobooks. Yes. And the majority of those are Poirot ones read by Hugh Fraser, and he does an incredible job narrating the audiobooks as well. Yeah. Cannot praise him enough. Oh, I love him. If anything, I just wish there'd be more Hastings in the Poirot books, <laughs> because, oh yeah, what a character. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, definitely. So other comments on it uh-huh. like i said it's really hard to talk about this one without giving any spoilers and i can't give spoilers because it's such a, it's a great an incredible one. twist to talk too much about the book kind of gives the whole thing away basically yeah it was a really enjoyable book despite the fact that obviously Poirot died yeah it was gentler than i was expecting yeah i kind of thought it was going to be so gut-wrenching to get to the part where Poirot is no more but actually it was it was okay. I imagine, I mean, I know for her, she she had, she had mixed feelings about writing these characters for such a long time. But I think she even she knew that she couldn't do that to people. She knows how beloved he is. And to give him yeah. a really brutal send off would be too much for most people to take. And actually, I don't know if you know this, when that book was published, there was an obituary published about him in the New York, I think it was the New York Times, didn't it? It was the New York Times. I read it when I finished the book, actually. Yeah, with a draw, with a picture. (laughs) (laughs) It was like the first obituary for a fictional character they've ever published, I think, isn't it? It shows you, it shows you how universally, internationally beloved he bloody was. So... Absolutely. I have to say, what was interesting as well is, like I said, I think it's universally accepted that the quality of her writing did Mm. slightly decline in later years. I mean, she was still Agatha Christie. Still better than most humans are doing anything. Exactly. So this kind of was lovely in that she'd written it so long ago, and I don't think she even revised it again. I think it was written and that was done in the 40s. So it was nice because it went out on such a high because it is really well written, very humorous in places, um, and a very clever plot. Yes, it is. So it was... It was lovely that that was the final Poirot story. Yeah. And an interesting one, again, no spoilers, but a lot of it was like Poirot coming to terms with himself. Yes. Isn't it? Is it fair to say? Yeah, definitely. And Hastings coming to terms mm. with the fact that he was going to lose Poirot as well. Oh, do you know what? While you were, when you told me it was Curtin, I was just scrolling back through my Instagram feed, not because you're boring me or anything, <laughs> but it was because I remember when the TV episode Ed, I decided to read the reread the book ahead of it, and I posted a picture highlighting a quote from the book that said, "I went downstairs sad at heart. I could hardly imagine life without Poirot." Oh no! Oh, Hastings! Yeah, like too too heartbreaking. My next question is: Are you going to now watch the TV adaptation? Of this episode? I am. 
Yeah, absolutely. I will watch it this week. Um, mm. I would have watched it after I finished the book, but I read it while I was in Ireland last week. Am I a bit, a bit of a party downer for all your family? <laughs> Gather round, family. Let's cry together. It was more I had hardly any reception. Um. I also, you will be incredibly proud. So I bought a copy of this on my Kindle when I was sitting in Gatwick Airport when we were flying out to Ireland and we had a mm. nightmare flight out. It was delayed. We were in the airport for like eight hours. Oh. And I could not get a decent enough internet connection on my Kindle to download it. So I bought it, but I couldn't download it. And my poor family basically had to endure like eight hours of me pacing around Gatwick Airport (laughs) trying to connect to different Wi-Fi networks to get it to download. It never happened. So I ended up then buying the audiobook of it as well so I could start listening to it. So I managed to download the rest of it. Oh, wow. And I then finished it on a bus coming back from Dublin Town Centre. So there you go. Did you cry? I didn't. Like I said, I think it was... hearted bitch. (laughs) That's me. I think because I was, I built it up to be, I I thought it was going to be so gut-wrenching, but actually it was Mm. quite peaceful and obviously Poirot had accepted it was going to happen and it feels like it laid enough groundwork in the book that you'd sort of come to terms with it happening as well by the time that moment came Mm. through and she didn't dwell on it either it was yeah it was very gentle like I said which I really like the other thing I really liked about this book was the kind of glimpse into Hastings family life and I know we only saw one of his daughters but we heard more about it and um I just, I also kind of loved, I guess Hastings must have been, what, about in his 60s in this book, I would guess? Yeah, I think so. That's pure guesswork. I could be wildly wrong. But he was clearly kind of around that age, getting older. And he just, he hadn't changed. Mm, No. And I loved that. And that's, I think, that's so true of particular, I'm going to make a sweeping generalisation here, uh, people of that generation as well you know the set in their ways mm. that's just how he is he's in it you know he doesn't learn <laughs> as he goes no and he he didn't understand a lot of the decisions that his daughter had made no. because she was a more modern woman yeah and he just didn't quite get it and I think there's a moment where he's he's horrified because he thinks his daughter's off in the woods alone with some yes. man that she's got a crush on or whatever and you know the scandal for him it's like, actually, this was, I, it was written to happen in the 70s as well, wasn't it, I think? Or yeah, I believe so. It was certainly, yeah, I mean, in a modern era compared to the original books anyway. Yeah. So yeah, I absolutely loved that. So, oh, such a good book. I absolutely adored it. Absolutely five stars all the way. Yeah, you have to with Curtin. It's a beautiful Definitely. Book. And I cannot wait to watch the TV episode oh either. Oh my God, I cannot wait to hear what you think about it. If you... If you don't cry watching that, I will be, I would just, I think I'll have to have you sectioned or like, I don't know, maybe like a welfare check. Oh God, am I up to watching the TV episode? You've scared me now. It's just, I mean, I I think I talked about it on our episode with Adam. I watched it after I'd failed the driving test. Yes. (laughs) I'd already seen it, but I thought, do you know what the perfect way to end this day is? I'll watch Curtain. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus Christ it's a wonder that I made it through the night after that really but uh it, no it's just it is obviously incredibly sad but it's it's played so beautifully obviously David Suchet is a, a master mm. and it's more you see oh I don't want to spoil anything but you see Hastings face no and that like Hugh Fraser again like it just he does it oh he does so much in that moment 
to just oh god yeah it's it's but it's a beautiful piece of television they did it so well i have to ask as well actually do, have they changed much in the tv adaptation no they didn't they didn't really okay. no they stayed relatively true so I, I think again i think you have to with that end like that ends piece you have to keep it true or just yeah yeah keep the legacy alive yeah oh. oh well I'm so glad to have finally been able to tell you what I read because <laughs> all of last week ever since I finished it I was like I want to talk to Frankie yes. about it <laughs> oh man I'm so I'm so I'm so excited that you've read it and that you're going to watch it and we can talk about that as well because oh, yeah it's so good oh yeah. what a great theme if I do it say was so myself <laughs> yeah no I really really enjoyed it they're just oh there's, like you said, there's, you know, this best to me, there's something about Agatha Christie books mm. where I've been listening to The Mysterious Affair at Stars when I go to bed. Oh, it's like my go to sleep audiobook at the moment. And um, yeah, they're just perfect. They're such yeah. cosy crime, aren't they? Yeah. And that's, the, and that's actually what a lot of people are saying at Harrogate. It's like often it's said, you know, particularly with this, the kind of snobbier end of crime literature, people are like, oh, Agatha Christie is so, like, for the masses, kind of basic. But it's like, no, actually, it's incredibly intelligent, complex. The mysteries are unrivaled, un- in my opinion. Mm. But also, what's wrong with making really good stories accessible and easy to read and follow for people? Mm. I think there's such an art in telling a really complicated story in a simple, engaging friendly relatable cozy way like she did you know it's there she's she was a genius and you know we don't use that word lightly because she actually was a genius there's there's she was they're such intelligent books as well they're written accessibly but actually it's very rare that i predict anything that's going to happen in an agatha christie book you may get one bit but there'll always be something that you did not did not get at all and the characterization as you say like god it's just perfect yeah it's perfect oh Wow, well, that was so much fun. Yes. Next month's theme, Frankie, what is it? Well, Sarah, I was about to ask you that very same question. We, for our next theme, after we've just done the beloved Poirot, who is the peak of masculinity, in my opinion, in terms of the literary world, at least. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a book with a female protagonist. Exciting. I've got loads of options sitting on my TBR at the moment. And there are loads of great ones out there. And actually, again, not to keep harping on about Harrogate, but people were saying how in the last, I think it was ever since uh, kind of Gone Girl, really, that the female protagonist in crime has had like a bit of a boom since then. Mm. Often, you know, when you heard about women in crime books, it's just the beautiful naked woman found in a river or, you know, the body is discovered. But now in the last, you know, 10 years, 20 years in particular, it's really evolved and you get so many fascinating female characters, whether it's a detective or, a you know, even a victim is more evolved now or a murderer. There's so much, yeah, so so many great female-led books now. So I'm excited to see what we pick. Excellent, me too. I'm excited to see what I pick. I'm excited to see what <laughs> I pick too. <laughs> what, what is she up to? Who knows for that one? But wow, that was super. I'm super excited for that. And also, as I mentioned earlier, so excited to have some of the interviews we've got coming up with people because, goddamn, really, really excited. Some great authors on the list. So, yeah, Frankie's been working her little socks off building relationships and pissing people off until they agreed to come on the podcast whatever works yeah that's the thing and actually uh, I was just telling Sarah before we started recording 
I'm going to be at Capital Crime in London in next month, actually, in September. Uh, so if anyone's going to Capital Crime, let me know, because it'd be lovely to see you and meet you if you do happen to go there. There are so many great panels on. I'm hoping I can drag Sarah along for at least one of the days. Yes, I'm going to have a look as soon as we've stopped recording. That's a lie. I'm going to cook my dinner first. Yeah, I don't know why you lie all the time. It would be great to have you there. And then, yeah. So, great episode. Great episode. Even if I do say so myself. (laughs) Well done, Sarah. Great job. (laughs) It's great to have you back. I've missed you very much. Thank you. It's nice to be back. And hopefully now you will never see your family again and you can focus on what's important, which is this podcast. I mean, they're back in like five days. Well, that was fun while it lasted, wasn't it, everyone? (laughs) Sarah finally acknowledges us again, only to leave. Only for a week and a half, then I'm all yours again. Okay, I'll, I'll wait. I can be patient. That's fine. Thanks. But thank you for listening, everybody. It's lovely to have you with us. And if you'd like to engage with us on the social media channels, you can follow us at Red and Berry Podcast on all good social network ad applications. <laughs> that sentence was going too well. I had to ruin it. And you can also email us if you want to say something a bit longer, if you've got any ideas for themes, if you want to tell us your thoughts on any Poirot books that you've read and loved or what you thought about Curtin. Yes. Did you cry? Uh, email us at redandberrypodcast at gmail.com thanks for listening everyone it's been great until next time bye 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 hey guys my name is tony black podcaster and author and i'm here to tell you about partisan a podcast about politics and history in film and entertainment i'll be joined by guests as we discuss films tv shows and maybe a little bit more examining political and historical topics such as how Elvis intersects with black cultural history. In Lerman's film, the idea of the black characters are maybe kind of, they're used as catalysts to basically move Elvis forward in his career. I think that that's how I saw it. The rise and fall of Richard Nixon. It seems to be historians who to agree with this is that he was the first president that really capitalize on the evangelical vote and politicize them the disturbing class satire in society and much much more partisan is free to download on apple Podcasts, spotify or your podcast app of choice and you can follow us on facebook and twitter at partisan pod i hope you'll vote with your feet and join us on the journey